Hello, creative people. Welcome to Creative Conversations. My name is Hollis Citron, and we are so happy that you have chosen to spend this hour with us. So I am owner and founder of I Am Creative and Express Yourself Publishing, and I am on a mission to expand the definition of creativity beyond a pencil and a paintbrush and empower people, especially adults, to own their voice that come in so many different forms. So this space was created to talk with people with all different jobs, hobbies, and interests, and have conversations about experiences and perspectives all centered around three questions. One, how do you define creativity? Two, how do you incorporate it into your life? And three, why do you think it's important? Then we have a free-flowing conversation and we see where it goes. So I have had the opportunity to talk to musicians, Reiki masters, mediums, doctor, lawyer, real estate agents, and so many more. And these conversations explore the reality that creativity is not cute, it is necessary. People have defined creativity as their soul's essence, courage, imagination, basically all that we are and wanna be. So sharing these stories expands one's thinking and opens up self-expression to feel more empowered, connected, and dare I say, happy. So my inspiring guest for today is Kelly Harris. Kelly is the owner of Harris Virtual Solutions, LLC. Kelly helps coaches and course creators build relationships with their audience through heart-centered email nurture sequences that leave readers feeling connected and eager to buy. Kelly, welcome to the space. Sorry, I was having a moment there. Thank you. <laughs> it's okay. Hello, hello. Welcome. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. So I just read the tiniest bit about you. Could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself before we dive in? Absolutely. Um, as you said, I am the owner of Harris Virtual Solutions. It started out as a VA um, business and has kind of pivoted into being more copywriter because I love to use words to help people. My husband likes to tell me that I'm a word nerd. Yeah. Um, but before that, I was actually a kindergarten teacher for almost a decade. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about on that. Um, on that end with your journey, I'm looking forward to um, diving into more about your journey in general. But um, okay, so let's do our would you rather and then we will dive in. So Sounds good. Kelly, would you rather have rainbow colored skin or a voice that sings every time you speak? I think Honestly, I'd love to sing every time that I spoke because I, um, I'm a natural born theater kid. And so for me, it's like, oh, that makes it easy. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So that's how. So um, tell me, what is theater kid like? How old is that? I did the I guess the furthest memory I have was like fifth grade. And then um, after I got out of high school, I did stuff with the local community theater for um by the time it was all said and done it was for, for about 15 years but in the middle of all of that I learned improv theater because there's a place called the castle of Muskogee in Muskogee Oklahoma where you can go and audition to be a street character and then you become that character on the street and then you do live theater in the round and that taught me to be very like okay yes and and to be very you know like let's do it 
Wow. So this was when you graduated high school, you did this? Um, I actually did that. That was, we started in 2003. So right after I graduated high school and then we did it until 2010. And my husband and I got married in 2007 at the pub across from the church because we knew the entire cast and we invited them. <laughs> was your husband in it too? Yes. Uh, yes, he was. He started as uh, Thomas Culpepper, uh, the page to the king. And then a couple years in, he switched characters and became a, um, I was a town poet and he became the, the like other person, like the town. He, he became my nemesis, essentially, <laughs> so that we could be together and talk to people. <laughs> so that's how you met. I love it. I actually met him at the community theater when I was about 17. I actually did a play with his mother and she brought him one night and then I went to 7-Eleven to get drinks and she was like, take my kid with you. It's number three. And then for the first month I knew him, I knew him as number three. And I finally was like, do you have a name or did your mom just get tired of naming her children? <laughs> and she, he was like, my name's Chris. So, yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I love that. It's so funny. When I think of these questions, they just kind of intuitively hit. And um, I just love the, I mean, theater, such a young age, isn't it? God, okay, Hals, put your words together. I just think it's such a great thing um, to expose like a confidence builder, a um, really finding out about yourself, uh, especially so young when years can be so awkward, especially in fifth grade. Well, yeah, it's so funny now because my mother-in-law still does it and she'll do like children's um, festivals and stuff as, and she'll take, she has this huge wooden cart full of props to tell like fractured fairy tales. And now she takes my 12 year old with her and he does it now. And it's so funny because he'll tell people I'm a theater kid and I'm like, Oh, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so why? So why do you say that? Don't. Well, he is very, um, he's like a, he's a boy scout and he's other things like that, but it cracks me up because I'm like, there, there's a point where you need to like learn where that line is to pull back mm -hmm. and when to be the loud person and when to say, okay, it's time for me to listen. And he hasn't quite mastered the whole listening piece of yeah. it yet. <laughs> yeah. So important though. And especially, I mean, that's just in life. That's a message to say is be a good listener. <laughs> But especially in improv, right? Like that's a huge aspect. I mean, right. acting in general, but it really teaches you that. Mm -hmm. It really does. And you learn that it's okay to play because I think like when I graduated high school, I had a plan and I was going to go to college and, you know, had this plan. And then I, you know, auditioned as to be the street character as the town poet. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was a life changing for me. Um, moment because I went in and I learned how to improv and how to talk to people and how to rhyme off the cuff and you know the things that it was it basically essentially taught me it was okay to play with people and it was okay to talk to people mm -hmm. okay this is going to be fun as we have a deeper dive so Yes, I want to thank the people that are here live. Thank you so much for being here. You can put your any questions or comments into the space as we have our conversation. So you can be a part of it as well. Um, okay, so Kelly, first question is, how do you define creativity? I think creativity is really 
looking inside of you and finding the thing that you enjoy and then finding a way to take action on it and put it out there. So if that's your singing or your writer or even a painter, you know, being not afraid to paint, pick up the paintbrush and see what's going to come of it. So take action. Yes. So to look inside and find that thing and take the action. And I mean, gosh, so many times, I mean, of, you know, being an art teacher for so long and just being a human, you notice and you see how many years people hold back of actually going inside and doing that thing because there's a million excuses you can have, like a million buts. Well, and I think too, you know, like for me, a, a game changer on some of this was learning the difference between motion and action because motion is, is you're doing things, but it doesn't move you forward. Action is, you know, picking up the paintbrush, actually creating the painting as opposed to watching a YouTube video on a how to. Mm. So it's, it's not so much learning as it is doing. Yeah. Yeah. I like that differentiation, motion and action. Yeah, the learning and the doing. So can you please tell us more about your journey? Because you have definitely like graphic design, art teacher, early childhood, yeah, so, VA. <laughs> like, tell us about right. it. Yeah, there's, it's, it's definitely been a journey. And um, in high school, I actually did graphic design um, at the Votech for half a day. So when I was in a senior, I only had one class at the high school and of all hours, it was fifth hour. So I had, I would literally go hang out in my car and do graphic design on my computer and stuff like that. And then go to my English class and then leave and then go back to the school at night and take college classes there. Um, and then I essentially started because I already had the design background. That's naturally what I went into when I first started college, because that was where my parents were like, Oh yeah, you, you know, you've already done this. So this obviously makes sense. Go. And so I did that and got um, a two year degree in that and then decided like, no, I think I want to do more. Um, and so then I switched to a four year degree and then I didn't get in the design program. Like after three and a half years, you know, there's one year, one semester that you have to be like approved and they didn't approve it. Wow. They were like, yeah, you're you're OK. You're good, whatever. But you're not the best of the best. And we want the best of the best to come out here. So mm -hmm. sorry. Like. And so I essentially got mad um, and mm -hmm. just took, went back, went to the academic office and said, like, what can I get? And they said, you can just get a general, a general degree with a minor in design because you already have design. And it's like, OK, so I took like the three classes or whatever. And I did that and I got married. Like, so I got, you know, my first, my four year degree, like a week later, I got married uh, at the Renaissance Festival, doing the Renaissance thing in the middle of all of that. And then a year or so later, I told my husband, like, hey, I want to go back to school. Mm -hmm. I don't really know for what, but I just I feel this pull. And so I went back to school and um, talked to an academic advisor who said, you have all these art classes. You should be an art teacher. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great plan. <laughs> and in, in the middle of all of that. I started subbing and the very first day I subbed was for an ISI class mm -hmm. and they walked all over me, like snuck out and got hamburgers and brought them back. Cause I had no idea what was happening. Like, um, and then shortly after I subbed for an art <laughs> class and the kids were 
taller than me and mouthier than me. And it was just, it was not a good fit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then I subbed for a first grade classroom and I was pregnant with our first child at the time. And I had a little six-year-old girl tell me like, are you pregnant or just fat? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, honey, it is not too many cookies. There is a baby in there. And she was like, okay. And so I went and switched my major to early childhood because it's like, I like little ones. <laughs> like they're crazy, but they don't mean to be. It's true. Um, Someone just said, um, the person listening, thank you, said kids are brutal. Yeah. Just, like, they are so honest. They just don't have any tact at all. Like, so <laughs> if they think it, it comes out. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there's no filter at all. And it was so funny because at the time, you know, I was, I was, I was a little taken back by that, but like I went and switched my major to early childhood instead of being an art teacher, I was going to be, you know, little kids because I didn't care for the mouthy big kids. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't really discover until later that, you know, big kids are just five-year-olds and big kid bodies. Mm -hmm. um, but it took, a while, it took a while to get there. Yeah. And what I loved about teaching the little ones was that they still loved to learn and they still loved to um you know, that moment when that spark would hit because they understood what was going on and they finally understood the thing that they'd been working on for so long. And so, you know, that's why I ended up choosing kindergarten um, mm -hmm. is because I loved, I loved the little people. And for me, I knew going into it that it was not going to be like a do it until I retire kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I told my husband early on, like, I'm only doing this for 10 years. I'm only doing this for 10 years because uh, I don't want to be the teacher that has all of these medical problems because I could never eat and I could never pee. Like, right. Oh my gosh, everybody. This is real. It is a real teacher thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They would be like, Oh, you can, you either have to have somebody cover your class or you have to like, just wait until you're at lunch, but you're going to be on duty. So you have 30 seconds to duck in there and heat up your food and go to the bathroom and be back out on duty. Um, and so I said, I don't want to be that old teacher. Sorry. And he said, okay, we'll do 10 years and then we'll figure out what the next step is. God will put it, whatever it needs to be. And, um, by about year five, year six, I knew it was like, oh man, like we're over the hill and now I'm coming down off the hill. I better figure out what the next step is. Um, but the flip side of that was, ah, I have time. It's all good. And then we had our third child and six months after that, the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I went from working 60 hours a week to like 85 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, working from home and all of the things. And then last year when school started, my school was virtual and my, my school was virtual. And literally I worked from like August 1st till mid November without a day off because they were being, they were requiring us to be in the building Monday through Friday for, for, to make sure that we were doing our work and to make sure that we, like they shoved all these extra meetings in there and all the stuff. And then they basically said like, find time, set up an iPad, film your lessons. And then you have the weekend to cut them down into 10 minutes or less and then find other stuff to go with it and then push it all back on Monday and start over. Wow. And so it wow. was in October, around October 15th of 2020 that my husband came to me and said like, 
this is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. I know we said 10 years, but this year with the pandemic should count as three. Mm -hmm. So um, come May, we you're done. I don't know what the next step's gonna look like, but like time's up. And so I started Googling online, like what can I do from home? Because the other side of that was my two and a half year old was being watched by my parents and they came to me and said, you're the baby. Um, we, we are 70 and we want to, we want to travel. So you need to put your daughter in actual childcare next year. So I was going to be teaching for free essentially by the time daycare was paid for. And so I found a lady, took her course to be a VA, started my VA business. And then in February of last year, um, was actually at a scout training with my husband and he was supposed to write something and he could not decide what he wanted to do. And after listening to him talk for five-ish minutes, I finally handed him a piece of paper. And he was like, these are really good ideas. Where'd these come from? Mm -hmm. And I said, you said them. Like, that's, that's all you, dude. I just wrote down what you said and maybe tweaked it a little. And he was like, oh, my gosh. I said this? Awesome. And I think in that moment, I realized, like, I love helping people through words. That that's, you know, I've always been a writer and it's something that I did when I was teaching. I wrote newsletters and things like that. And if I could use my ability to write with words um, and help people, then why not? Right. Well, it kind of goes back to what you were saying of kind of going creativity is looking inside and finding that thing that you enjoy. So you kind of took this, you know, this route of trying these different things because they were parts of your life and you realize what worked, what didn't work. And then here through writing, you've always had a passion for it. And it kind of goes back to about the listening because mm -hmm. you said, as your husband was like, I don't know what to write. And you just kind of listened and then wrote those things down. And then it's put it back to him. It's like all these strengths that you have and it's just so wonderful. Isn't it surprising when somebody says something back and it's like, oh, well, th th where'd you hear that? Well, you just said that. Oh, that came from me. <laughs> so I did. That was brilliant. Yes, exactly. <laughs> brilliant. Like, but we don't hear ourselves a lot of times, do we? No, because we, we, you know, I don't think we listen to ourselves as much as we should because, you know, as we grow up, we, we do what we feel like society says we should do, not what we should do. Uh, and that was something I kind of struggled with for a little while after I really started my own business. And after I quit was like quitting, starting my own business and then quitting the thing I had done for so long was very much out of my realm of like, Oh my gosh, I'm really doing this. Am I going to wake up? And this has been a dream. Like who knows? Like, okay, keep, take one more step forward. And for me, it became, and has become like, what's the next right step? What's the next step to serve as many people as I can? What's the next step to make connections and build relationships? Like what, what is my next step? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of going back to what you said about the teaching aspect when you were working with the bigger kids and then went to the younger kids. Um, it just made me think, you know, after teaching art for, you know, 30 years with so many ages and abilities, literally from two to 100 with all abilities, um, mm -hmm. meaning special needs, general education. Um, I was very hesitant for a long time to work with older kids. I felt cause I'm, I'm tiny. I'm, you know, I'm five feet tall. So I just kind of felt, and I was always in like title one schools. So 
there'd be like a rougher kind of space and I was just small. So I kind of just, I felt intimidated just by big pe bigger people, <laughs> but not until my own kids got older, did me for myself start to feel more confident and being like, okay, I had this experience. I have teenagers now. So I feel like I can relate in a different, in a different way. Wait. Um, it makes yeah. more sense. Um, so for me, that's kind of when I was like, when I was offered a middle and high school opportunity, it wasn't my first choice, but I was like, okay, I feel more comfortable with this because I'm kind of living it at the moment. I completely relate to that because my, as I said, both of my kids are in scouts, but one is still a Cub Scout and one has moved on into the bigger scouts. And last summer I got volunteered because I had quit my job. I got volunteered to go spend a week at day camp or at camp with these kids. And at first I was like, oh, okay. And then it was probably one of the more fun highlights of last year because I found that I now have a kid that is almost that age or just at the cusp of all of that. And I can relate to all of those kids. And the kids are so funny because they want somebody who's going to give them guidance that's not mom. Right, right, right. Yeah. And again, you're talking about those connections. It's mm -hmm. in everything, right? I mean, connections are literally in everything. It's in the conversations we have. It's in, you know, how we, uh, in the work that we do and just how we live. It's all about connection. And I think like for me, realizing that connections were something I really wanted to do and build relationships was really something I wanted to do came out of, you know, being on a screen and being, you know, not being able to get out and talk to people and see people and hug people. And I realized like we've had some connection issues for a long time, but the pandemic really acerbated that situation. Mm -hmm. And so as we come and we keep moving forward, like how are ways that I can help? Because for me, I'm with you. I feel like it, relationships and connections are all around us. We simply need to seek them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So talk to me about, um, so the title that I gave this podcast, Art Articulating Your Greatness in an Email as an Entrepreneur. Um, <clears throat> Let's talk about this. Do you find it? I mean, obviously, there's your 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 skill is writing. Um, a lot of people have difficulty in getting their ideas across simply, not using so many words, but really getting their point across in an email, don't they? Well, I think they really do. Um, one thing that I've had people tell me, like, there's been some pushback because it's been like, there's social media, you know, like, email's dying. I don't see email going away. It's been there for so long, and then it seems to be the constant, even though, you know, like, things like TikTok pop up or things like Instagram. There's still email, and people are still checking their email. It's usually the last thing most people do before they go to bed and the first thing they do when they wake up when they're, you know, in the restroom. Mm. And so... I find with email, like a lot of people, they want to write their emails, especially if they run a business, they want to write their emails like they're talking to their mom or their grandma or whatever. And so they don't really think about there being a, um, a system or a plan to do it or parts that they need to make sure that they include. And, and for me, I would say anybody that's doing any kind of writing, I keep a journal where I do a brain dump for ideas so that I feel like if I can get those ideas out of my head, whatever they look like, even if they might not be something I'm going to act upon, mm -hmm. I can make that list or do that brain dump and clear up some sp space for the next best thing to come. 
So when somebody's writing an email, do you have a suggestion for the length of it? I typically don't. I typically tell people don't make them super long. We are in a society currently that is throwing information at us at an insane speed. And so you want your subject line to be something that is um, unique, useful, ultra specific or urgent because you want them to take the time to open it. Um, but you also don't want to make it a novel. It doesn't need to be a huge email. If you have that much to say, do yourself a favor and break it into several emails because um, no, typically nobody's going to stick around and read the whole thing if it's, you know, 800 words. But if you make it 200 words, then they're probably going to read it and see. The other thing a lot of people don't do is they don't include a call to action. You know, mm -hmm. when people are reading your email, they need to know what 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 is the next step that you want them to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so absolutely, you know, tell them even if it's, hey, you hit reply and tell me what you think of this or, hey, check out my social media, because it doesn't hurt if they go to your social media and they're seeing the same message because marketing wise, they, they used to say someone had to see a message seven times for them to be warm and want to buy. And yeah. now it's like 15 or 16 or more times that they have to see it. Mm -hmm. What do you think about images in the email? I love to put images in my emails. I love to put gifts in my emails because um, one, it, it, it actually this came up a couple of days ago. I had I had done an email for someone and she sent me back the email and she had put a gif in it and I immediately started laughing because I felt like oh my gosh she gets me because that's a I can't even remember what but it was a reference that I understood in the gift and I was like oh you are one of my people gotcha like <laughs> awesome and so there was this immediate connection though because. I saw the gift even before I read what it was. I saw the gift and I started laughing and I was like, okay, oh, I wrote that. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was me. Oh, I'm brilliant. <laughs> I mean, I was just like, well, yeah, I mean, it was so funny though, because I got yeah. sucked in because of the gift. Yeah. And then I was like, what did she write? And then I was like, oh, she didn't write that. I did. Like, I got you. Oh. So are they, so I know it, it's gif or is it gif? I don't know how to pronounce it. I think that's a personal preference. Um, okay. Because I've always called them gifts, but I'm from the South. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but those are, because they, you're right, they are attention grabbers, right? They really are. And the other thing I, I think a lot of people don't think about when they're writing an email, you want white space. Um, so write two or three sentences, hit enter a couple times, write another couple of sentences and like many paragraphs because our brain is wired for scannability. Our brain is wired so that we're looking at all the information outside of us or in our emails or wherever or on our phone. And we're looking for information fast and we're looking for information that we can chunk and categorize. Mm -hmm. And when you put white space in your email, you are setting that person's brain up to be able to scan it quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that um, affirmation of because that's what I find myself doing naturally because I see that I need mm -hmm. that. When things are pushed together too tightly, visually it gets confusing, it gets jumbled. So I'm like, you need to create a lot of separation so it can be it can be read easily. So there we go. Thank you for right. that. Right, and the thing is too, if it's all smashed together, there's almost this like tension that's created. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is something I don't think a lot of people think about when they're building an email, but you need to look at the tempo and the tone of your email because you may be meeting it one way, but if it's written and it's all smashed together and it feels very tight and very, people might think you're yelling at them because mm-hmm. of the way that the information was presented. Um, <clears throat> or they may just be like, that email was exhausting to read mm-hmm. because they feel like absolutely they've had to work to get to the message. Thank you for this. This is such important information, everybody, because it's 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 really reinforcing to me as you're saying these things that, I mean, art to me, creativity is in everything that we do. It's in how we wake up in the morning from how we put our feet on the ground to, you know, literally, because it's the clothes we choose, how we do our hair, what we do, what we're going to eat, you know, how we present ourselves and what we say, our interactions, just everything is a creative aspect. And here, what you're saying is, again, another creative aspect in an email, that it's creating this emotion, that it's creating, people are reacting to it and seeing that when the words are so close together, they might feel that you're yelling or, or all of this kind of stuff. It's, I mean, it's these aspects of things that we don't always think about. So important. And I agree with you. I think art is everywhere. And I think it took me a little while when I first started my business because people would talk about sales and marketing to me all the time. And I was like, I tell me more. Like I, I, I took one marketing class in college. Tell me more. What do you mean by that? And it took me a little while to realize that I was marketing myself the minute I stepped out of bed from the clothes I chose to wear to the words I chose to use, you know, you're marketing and, and sales is, you know, talking to people and doing things. And so I realized I'd been doing it the entire time I was teaching. It just looked differently because I was talking to kids and administrators and parents. Um, and now I just talk to people. (laughs) But I was just as just as you started to talk, I was thinking too, getting back to the written word. It's like when we receive a text and it's all in bold with exclamation points and things like that, how you write your words and what you choose to do with them as far as them being um, capital, uh, what punctuation, it puts out an emotion, which might not be Mm -hmm. the right perception. It's that whole thing of not having the actual voice communication. Um, so there can be different perceptions and perspectives that are perceived as somebody's putting the word out there. And it's so important to think about what you're doing. Right. And here's the other thing too, like when you're writing emails, it's okay to, you know, make reels on Instagram or do other things or a live or YouTube video or something. And what you'll find is as you start doing that and you're putting out things of value and you're making the connections and you're tying it back to the emails and you're repurposing the content, people Mm. will tell you, I heard your voice when I read this. Mm. Um, And so it's interesting though, because it's all different parts of the same, same thing. Well, and thank you for saying that, because I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that aspect of, um, especially as entrepreneurs, being multiversed in using, doing the lives so people can actually see us, see, see our mannerisms, hear our, vo- hear our voice, and be able to relate in that way, and then see the written word. So exactly like you said, is I could actually hear your voice. I could see you. I could hear you as I was reading your words. It's just much more relatable. 
Right. And it also helps to to really help build that know, like, and trust because when they see you and they hear you, you become a real person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you come off the page. You're like, wow. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's true. And I, I really right. do love what you said about marketing as soon as you wake up. It's true. When we think of things that way, totally different perspective. So let's explore a little bit more and find out more about who you are and how you incorporate more creativity into your own life. Okay. Um, you are more than welcome to ask me whatever. <laughs> what do you, how do you incorporate more creativity into your own life? What do you do? Tell us some things. Um, <clears throat> Well, one of the things that I do every morning is I journal. I used to I actually stop journaling because I used to journal for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour. And I realized fairly recently that what I was doing was I was chronicling, chronicling the day. Mm -hmm. And so I was using it to create a legacy. So I was leaving a written record of what had happened so that if something happened to me, my kids had something to attach to. And I was like, oh, man, I felt like I was journaling wrong. First of all, there's no way to journal right or wrong. But I recently changed that up to where I now set a 15-minute timer. And then I use it as gratitude for the thing, five things that have happened the day before um, that I'm grateful for. And then use it more as a brain dump for, or a, a space for ideas and for creativity and things that I want to see or places we want to go or um, adventures that we want to take. The other thing that I do, and I don't do it as often as I used to, but I used to paint. Um, because, you know, I, as a design student, I had taken all of these art classes and all of these, um, painting classes. And so, you know, from time to time now, I will make myself sit down and actually paint something. And it, it always cracks me up because I'll just sit there and I'll do my own thing. And inevitably, if I'm in a space where, you know, the church ladies are all painting or whatever, they will inevitably come to me and be like, Oh, how did you do that? Like, how, how do we make your ours look like yours? And I'm like, well, first of all, I have six, seven years of art <laughs> lessons, but here's what I would suggest. And, and so what I found though, was my kids love to paint as much as I do. And sometimes now we, we paint and it doesn't even have to be, um, it doesn't even have to necessarily make a product. So like in the summertime, I will give my kids glasses of water and paint brushes and we'll go just paint the um, driveway and then the sun will evaporate it. But the kids think it's the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. So it's that whole temporary, yeah, that's so important that it doesn't have to be. It's about the process. Exactly. Like so it's a journey. It. And yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. I was just going to say it's, it's a journey. It's just, um, and I think for me, part of the reason we started doing that was because I didn't want it to be about the product. I didn't want it to have to be like this, whatever you make has to be perfect. It was about like, well, are you learning something? Okay. You want to go practice calligraphy or your sight words or whatever out on, out on the road, go for it. Like, well, let's just go and have fun mm -hmm. and just do it, do it for joy. Not because you have to have a product. Well, like you said, it's, that's the experiential aspect of it. And when you have that, I believe is that's when it really sinks in. So like you just said, mm -hmm. if you want to practice your calligraphy, if they were took a paintbrush and were practicing their calligraphy out on the driveway and it disappeared because it was mm -hmm. just the process, but at the same time they were kind of practicing, 
there's a fun in that. There's not this expectation where you're looking back on it and there's, like you said, the perfectionism. You're not saying, oh, that's wrong. That's right. That's that's okay. Right. There's, there's no judgment involved. It's just doing. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I really love doing is um, photography. One, because I just like to take pictures that, you know, we can go back and you can look and say, like, in that moment of time, here's where we were. But also because, like, my own children, my 11-year-old, I love him, but he makes me laugh. Um, he used to be the kid that every picture day would be in a suit because he wanted to look his best. Uh -huh. And then last year, he started wearing a suit, like, once a week. And I was like, what you doing? And he basically said, like, Mom, you're an entrepreneur, and I'm going to do the same thing. So that I got to look the part. Oh. And... Uh, <laughs> Then him and his brother at Christmas, when I said, what do you want Santa to bring? They said, we both like a camera, a couple of digital cameras, because we've decided we want our business to be a photography business. And I said, well, you know, if Santa was to give you that, maybe your dad and I can buy you a little printer. And then maybe if you do some YouTube and you figure out like how to make compositions or lighting or whatever, I said, maybe next summer we can just go to the park and you can see if people want to give you 10 bucks for a drop in photography. Mm hmm. And so they like have a plan to start their own little photography business and go. And I said, and here's the thing, guys, you're learning. So don't ask people for a ton of money, but ask them if they're interested. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. there's learning in that. Yes. And, and there's learning in that that's just, you know, you're not they're not necessarily expecting a great product, but you're learning something to be able to take the next step forward. That's it. And again, it's, it's the connections and it's teaching them, which is what's so brilliant about it all is, first of all, they're inspired because they're seeing what's happening around them. They're hearing your words, mm -hmm. they're seeing your actions. They're just like, oh yeah. And it's sinking in. So just that part of him saying he wants to wear a suit because he wants, that's how he wants to show up because he's marketing himself. He wants to look the part. And then here they are talking with each other and brainstorming and not being afraid of, well, that sounds stupid or this isn't a good idea. They're excited about it. And then it's the baby steps on how to make it grow. And it's kind of like, I don't know, it just made me think when you were saying like, go to the park, it's like the improv that you're doing. You know, it's being right. out in the space and interacting with people and helping to to um, foster those uh, communication skills, which is the, like the most important to me skill that you need to have for life. Right. Because not only are they communicating, but they're learning how to listen. And honestly, you know, they're probably going to have somebody be ugly to them at some point. And how are you going to handle that conflict? You know, learning how, because I tell them all the time, like, guys, I need you to problem solve. Mom's not going to be around forever. Like as much as I'd love to be immortal, I don't think I'd like it. So, you know, What's your plan? Because and it's the same reason we let them cook. You know, we teach them how to cook because, you know, for me, that's 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 learning because not only are they having to read the recipe, but they have to measure it. And then there's science involved when you add heat and you're changing it. And, you know, and if it you don't follow the recipe, then it doesn't turn out right. And so there's yeah. some immediate feedback there. Um, and so like just those kinds of life lessons that you can just say, it's okay to make mistakes. So you've made a mistake and it didn't work out the way you wanted it to. How are you going to move forward? It's interesting. We were, um, my daughter and I were talking 
just yesterday about uh, she's working at a uh, at a chocolate shop where they make everything is just handmade and it's just like a gourmet chocolate shop. It's just incredible. And this is her first customer service experience. She's 18. She's worked in childcare mm-hmm. prior to that. So all the things that she's learning, we were talking about, uh, we were talking about how you show up with customers and your mood and what that, that, how that whole interaction can go. I truly believe that everybody should work in a restaurant, should do some kind of customer service, whatever that looks like, because you need to know how to, like you said, deal with that person who isn't very kind. How are you going to react and show up? And she was talking about, you know, sometimes when she's really tired and if she finds herself not really being present, she's not getting very good tips. But she's found that when she interacts with someone, if she shows that she remembers somebody and says, oh, yeah, you bought this last time. How did you, you know, how did you like it? Or they really engage into a little bit of a deeper conversation. She's got nine dollar tips at a chocolate shop, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because of that exactly and the thing people is feel like they're being listened to you know exactly people the thing is is when you make the effort nine times out of ten even when it's the ugly person that's snapping at you or whatever yeah. if you make the choice to respond in a an empathetic way most of the time that situation is going to diffuse when you say oh hey i'm sorry like yeah that was my bad or you know like i hope you have a better day or even saying you know just Thank you for bringing that to my attention. Because for some people, it's about being, they just want to feel seen. Yes. Thank you for saying that. It's so true. Those are really the best ways to diffuse the situation and not take it personal. It's really hard. It the can be thing, hard because it feels very personal, but um, yeah. It yeah, does. And, 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 and that is very hard. Now, the other thing I was going to say um, was, hold on. Now I got to think about it. <laughs> um <laughs> Oh, I remember what I was going to say is when we do something, whether it's something for business or something for Boy Scouts or even something that I'm working on teaching my kids is that there are two things that we do at the end of the day or at the end of a project. At the end of a project, we do a start, stop and continue. What do we need to start doing that we maybe weren't doing? What do we need to stop doing that is not effective? Um, And what do we need to continue doing to, you know, build the relationships and move forward? And then the gratitude piece is also key because at the end of the day, we do roses, thorns, and rosebuds. So like good things that have happened today, um, bad things are things that we maybe reacted to and we should have reacted to them differently. Um, and then rosebuds are like those, th- those tiny things that um, we're very grateful for that we'd like to do again or like to try again. I love that. So you've been always been doing this with your kids or you started recently? Um, actually, with the roses and thorns we did, we've been doing for about four and a half years now. And we recently added the rosebuds because someone um, someone said, oh, yeah, we do. We do roses and thorns, but we also like to do rosebuds because that just gives them that like this is something we could potentially do in the future. And so it kind of sets up almost like a bucket list in a way of like, oh, next time we're there, we're going to try whatever. And so we've been doing that for a long, long time. And then the start, stop and continue was something that my husband and I learned at a Boy Scout leadership um, training. And it's funny because we use it for everything now. Like if we're having, like if we get into a fight or if something happens or like 
food doesn't like it just doesn't turn out the way that it should have or whatever we'll have a start stop and continue where it'll be like okay what what just happened like what should we have start what should we start doing from here what do we need to stop doing um and it just it it's one of those things that like the leadership stuff started and came at such a great time for me because my business at that time was less than six months old and so the things that i liked from the people that i've met and worked with have just kind of automatically rolled into being a part of my business because they are things that I myself feel very strongly about. Yeah. Start stopping. These are such, first of all, I love that you're teaching your kids at such a young age because these are like life skills. I mean, they're never going to forget that it's going to be part of their whole process of everything that they do, which is brilliant. And the start, stop and continue. I mean, when as entrepreneurs, if this is what we choose to do, if this is our path, we can't get stuck in the in the overthinking or well that sucked. Well, I, I you know I'm not good at this. Da 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 da. Okay, start, stop, and continue. Uh, move on. What's the next step? What's the next pivot? It's just it's it's a key factor to actually succeeding and not becoming a victim and shutting down. You know. Right. And it takes the emotion out of it because at that point we're not blaming. It's not saying like, uh, you know, oh, I had a really bad day and I did whatever. Like it's it's basically just like, let's just analyze what what do we need to start doing? What should we stop doing and what should uh, we continue doing? And it's so funny because I'm one of the Boy Scout groups that I go to fairly regularly. Their start is or their stop is always we need to stop procrastinating, um, whether we do or not. But that's always number one is we need to stop procrastinating. Um, and it's funny because even my kids will say it sometimes like, what are we going to stop? We stop procrastinating. OK, what else do we need to stop doing? Um, <laughs> but it's just and the thing of it is, too, is you put these procedures in place now, especially if you're just starting out. And then when you choose to take on other contractors or you choose to take on other employer employees, yeah. you already have a system built out. Yeah. And it's a system that's not a judgmental one. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that you said it's taking the emotion out of it because that's the issue is when we get caught up in the emotion, that's the spiral. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So systems in place. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So as we're getting to the top of the hour, which time just flies, um, the third question is the one that kind of, kind of wraps it up and puts a nice little bow on it is why do you think creativity is important? I think creativity is important because everybody's output on creativity is a little bit different, but it's enough that we can relate to it. And so there are relationships that are built by putting things out, by being the person. <clears throat> we live in a world of consumers and everybody's consuming, but it is the people that are being creative um, and taking the messy action and putting fear on the sidelines that are ultimately the ones becoming the producers. And the producers are the ones who are the most successful. Mm. Because it's that whole thing, like you said in the beginning, it's there's the being in motion, the being in action. It's right. actually being the doer, taking the action and not being afraid to make the mess, to make the mistake. The messiness is and the, thing, the beauty. It's the messy bits. Right. And here's the thing. It's the mistakes and how you react to the mistakes in front of people 
that are ultimately going to make you the most relatable. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. That's something, I mean, I've, I've really learned to embrace. Um, I was in a situation before where I started a business with somebody and uh, for 10 years we were in it together and there was a lot of um, kind of being reprimanded and browbeat for a mistake. And I honest, I took it on myself too, where, cause I'm, you know, we can be the hardest on ourselves. Uh, so it kept me really small for a long time of the fear of someone else's perception. And am I going to get in trouble? Am I going to like this whole thing that was just a mess? And it makes you feel really bad. You don't want to live a life like that, people. Like, you know this. It doesn't feel good. So it's and there, how, how you relate to it. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, there's two things I would say to that. One, um, you got to stop that mean girl or guy voice in your head. Because yeah. if you wouldn't say it to a, another person in real life, what make, gives you the right to say it to yourself? Yeah. And it's easy to do. It's easy to end up into that spiral. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, when you when you're in a situation and where re mistakes are reprimanded and mistakes are are seen as like horrible, then it makes it really hard to take risk because you don't you're you're so afraid of making the mistake that you you become paralyzed and you refuse to move. Yeah. I was just thinking as I was listening and looking at the title of, of this podcast, what do you do like in that situation where an email was sent and then you're like, oh crap, I can't take that back. Like that, I didn't well, word it properly. I didn't like, oh my God, I said something in there that I shouldn't have said. What do you uh, do? <laughs> I mean, like when something like that happens, typically what I do and what I tell my, my clients, because first of all, this is life stuff's going to happen. It just does. Um, but what I would say to that is, you know, that's when you send back in another email and say like, Oh, silly me, that's the wrong zoom link. My bad. Or you say something like, you know, like, um, so some information just went out. That is not correct information. Let me give you the right information because I want to make sure that I'm supporting you in the best possible way that I can. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Because when you just say, hey, yeah, that was an accident, you know, or when you're more honest about it and open about it, then people tend to very much like brush it off. Like, oh, no big deal. Like we all make mistakes. But when you're like, when you try to hide it or you try to be not authentic about it, that's when people, uh, this is going to, people know when you're not being authentic, when you're not being your normal, like they may think, okay, this person's nice, but they immediately will think that something is off. Right. Right. Um, They'll just be like, something's not, there's something about this person. I just, I can't put my finger on it, but something's not. Eh. And, and for me, you know, being authentic is, is super important because you're trying to build relationships with those people. And if you are not being authentic and they know, first of all, they know, and then trust is way harder to build. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's Yeah. Yeah, we, we do know. It's that whole thing that you said. I can't put my finger on it because it's energy. It's like the energy mm -hmm. of our words, the energy of our presence, the energy of our voice. It's like, mm, I can't exactly, I, I just feel it. It's something that I feel. And trust. You said a word that I find so, so important. It's always been, for me, in any space, it's about creating that safe space. 
so people mm -hmm. can feel like they can express, they can feel like they can be heard, so they can feel like they can trust. So it's not like you're they're saying something and then you know they feel violated. They're not being judged for it um, or anything like that. They're right, and you're not taking it and. And you're not taking it and twisting their words around. Um, so, yeah, they need to feel like this is a place where I can take a risk and say what I'm going to say. And people are going to go, oh, OK. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really kind of like sinking in. And I just love when we were talking about the actual email. Kind of keep it short and sweet and really... <sighs> When you said twisting your words, it's just the authenticity of what you're trying to say, having that just come through. And that really just gives people a feeling of, oh, yeah, I can relate to that person. I like this person. I feel like I can trust this person. Well, and here's the thing, too. You need to be doing if you're sending emails out regularly, you need to be doing some form of market research and asking people what they think, their thoughts and opinions, because what you do is when they tell you that you find a way to put that their words back into your email. And then suddenly they say things like, I felt like you were talking to me. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, I was because I used your words. <laughs> <laughs> it's going back to you writing that down for your husband. I used your words. Right. You just didn't hear it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Kelly, can you please tell people how they can connect with you? Absolutely. You can connect with me on Instagram at kmharris004. You can visit my website at www.harrisvirtualsolutions.com. Or if you really want to and you want to email me, it's kelly with a Y, K-E-L-L-Y, at harrisvirtualsolutions.com. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for hanging out with, with this. Oh, God, I can't even talk. Sorry. For this hour with me, I really, and us, really, really appreciate it. Um, are there any final words or something that you feel like you want to share with the audience before we go? Um, what I will say is there's never going to be a right time, guys. There's never going to be a time when all the ducks are in a row the way that you want them to be. So if you're thinking about taking messy action, set yourself a timer. And then when that timer goes off, you do the thing, whether that is a Facebook live an Instagram post, starting your own business, whatever it is, take the messy action. Because once it's out there, you can get feedback and tweak it and put it out there again. But if you sit there and think about when you're going to do it, you're in motion and it's never going to happen. Oh my gosh. Yes. So go do the timer. thing. <laughs> Don't do that thing. Set that timer take the messy action that is the most brilliant way to end thank you thank you thank you kelly and thank you to all of those uh all of you here with us live and catching the replay we so so appreciate you this space is all about inspiring each other connecting and sharing stories i believe we've always needed this but i feel like we need it now more than ever so please like follow share give a review on, you know, how that helps all the algorithms. Um, this is in any space that you listen to podcasts is where Creative Conversations is. So again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We wish you a good morning, a good afternoon, a good evening, wherever you are in this world and look forward to talking to you again soon. So goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you guys. Feeling inspired. There are so many ways to do things for you, to get yourself moving, to get your creative juices flowing, and to have fun. Check out I Am Creative and Express Yourself Publishing. 
go to IamCreativePhilly.com. I am creative Philly, P-H-I-L-L-Y.com. And check out the experiential kits. Check out Creative Shui, which is all about creative inspiration and guidance. And for Express Yourself Publishing, there's so many multi-author book opportunities. So I would love to chat with you so much. Everybody has, everybody's creative. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has an expression. And I can't wait to meet you. Thank you so much for taking this hour to listen to our stories and share the energy. And I wish you a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in this world. Bye, everybody.